Please take your seats. Please, please take your seats. I'm going to show you a um, clip. Uh, we are in the midst of preparing for our new intake of our Bible school and our Kensington Temple Performing Arts School this coming September. And uh, our own senior minister, Colin Dye, uh, he is the founder of the Bible school, but with Robert Sled and his time with us in the Bible school at least has come to an end, uh, Colin himself is going to be uh, very much hands-on as principal, acting principal of our new school. And, uh, well, not new school, but it is new because by this September, we'll, we will have uh, all the courses on the daytime and the evening accredited. And that's what we're working very hard on. So now's the time for training. We have daytime courses. Monday to Friday, uh, 9 o'clock till 1 o'clock in the afternoon, so there's still time for people to, to work if they need to have part-time jobs. That full-time course is not just the training and the teaching of the lectures, but it is a full discipleship year and two-year course. And so we form you, we mold you, we take you into the heart of our church and get you involved in ministry at very at different levels. So by the end of that year, and many go on to do the two years, you have been formed in ministry and finally discipled to bring out the best that God has got for you. Then, of course, our highly successful evening uh, certificate, uh, which takes places on, on Tuesdays and Wednesday evenings, and uh, people can come to as much or as little as that as they want, and uh, we again, all those, well, most of those evenings will be accredited. Occasionally, we'll do a one-off subject on a Wednesday or a Thursday that won't be accredited, but it will be meeting a very much a felt need of training in the church, and we'll let people know about that. So that means well, over a period of two years, but you can take longer. It's really all down to what you're able to do, you can get an evening accredited certificate. And, and the evening certificate and the daytime accredited diploma are recognized nationally in ed educational uh, institutions up and down the, line, the, the land. So it's a bit like getting GCSEs or A-levels. Actually, the level that we are pitching our teaching is first year university. There are some, of course, that come on the course and they say, well, look, I'm not really interested in, in getting accreditation and, and, you know, I just want the practical training. I want to hear the lectures. And, and for those people, there's a place for them as well. So we'd just like to show you a short clip as you seek God to how he wants to train you and the, and the options available for you in our Bible school. Thank you. a little bit of that out, but never mind. Um, more information is all there for you in this month's 
uh, revival times. And that will give you exactly what is available for you. Thank you very much. Well, we are coming to the next in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that was ever preached. And of course, when I speak about the Sermon on the Mount being a sermon, uh, it wasn't like Jesus preached it one time at like 11 o'clock Sunday morning service. This Sermon on the Mount that starts in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus would have taught this, uh, scholars believe, over a period of two or three days. So when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we are really getting the highlights. Somebody, thank God, sat down and made some notes. And so out of those notes of Jesus' teaching over three or four days, we have the Sermon on the Mount. That's why we take time going through the Sermon on the Mount, because what we have here are headings. Much of what's here are sort of like headings that need to be explored in greater detail. We begin in Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read it again because the whole of, of the Sermon on the Mount is really an explanation of how somebody who is like the Beatitudes lives their life. Matthew 5 verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is a description of a spirit-filled Christian who is is exhibiting the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, when Jesus said the blessed, the Beatitudes, and gave this description of what a spirit-filled Christian is meant to be, this is meant to be the major characteristics of a spirit-filled Christian. You can imagine that people would say, well, how does this work in practice, Lord? Well, give us some examples And so that's what Jesus does in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. He gives us examples and principles of how somebody with these blessed characteristics would live. And he puts it in real situations. We spent um, quite a bit of time, uh, uh, and and we're bringing that section to to a close, where we've been in chapter 5, verse 20, where Jesus says, For I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. And we've been spending time looking at that because Jesus is saying that the righteousness of the scribes of the Pharisees is an external righteousness. In other words, uh, they were just concerned on what you saw on the outside. They weren't concerned on what was going on the inside in the heart. And so we looked at six statements that showed how we're to live by love and the spirit and a righteousness of the heart rather than the righteousness of the Pharisees. Jesus said of the Pharisees, you know what, you're whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look perfect. You look clean and pure and holy, whitewashed tombs. But on the inside, he says, it's dead men's bones. God is concerned what goes on the inside in your life because out of a person's heart proceeds evil or good. And so you don't, you don't follow the Lord by external attitudes. You follow the Lord by letting him deal with your heart that will affect the way that you live your life. 
And so we have the statements, you have heard it said, thou shalt not kill. You have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Uh, You have heard it said about giving a divorce, about giving oaths, about an eye for an eye, and love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And Jesus gave those six examples and showed how the, the Pharisees, they just did it religiously, outwardly. I mean, they didn't commit adultery, well, so they said, but in their heart they were committing it every day. They didn't actually go and murder somebody, but in their heart, they were sticking the knife in people and ruining people's lives and character assassination. All that was okay, as long as you don't cross the external line. With the divorce certificates, they were abusing divorce so that they could... um, Marry the people they want. When they saw a better person around that they lusted for more, they would use the they would use the divorce certificate to and all these types of things. And Jesus, in this passage, is showing that a spirit-filled person should not live external religious life, but a spirit-filled person should allow God to do the work of saving in the heart. I mean, sanctification in the heart. God looks at the heart. Do you remember that with David? When, when David's father, Jesse, and, and Samuel came and said, show me your sons. And every time one of them came, one got bigger, Samuel said, surely that's the one. Because on the outside, the person looked perfect to be, um, to, to, be, to be the king. And in the end, he said, is this all your sons? Jesse didn't even think David was worth bringing forth as a son. He said, well, I've got one other, but he's a shepherd. And they brought forth... Jesse, I mean David. And when you looked at David on the outside, forget it. But on the inside, his heart was God's man. You see? That's a picture of what God wants us to be like. That it's the heart above all things that matters. And we looked at that. Now, we came last, uh, last week into a section that's transitioning, transitioning us into chapter 6. And that section was where the, Jesus was saying, you've heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. And we discussed that. But in, the, in that passage, he, he begins to mention the Father. And as we come into chapter 6, one of the great themes of chapter 6 is living your life in the presence of the Father. Living your life in the presence of the Father. So we see this introdu- introduction. It says, verse 45 of chapter 5, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And verse 48, therefore you shall be perfect or mature as your Father in heaven is perfect. So Jesus is saying, you you want to know how to live the Spirit-filled life? Be like your Father. Be a son, and I use that for women as well, be a son of your Father. You know they use the phrase like Father, like Son? Would they use that of us and our Father in heaven? And we've been seeing that that Jesus has been speaking about the issues of the heart, a spiritual heart righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees that can only be lived by reliance on the Holy Spirit, walking by the Spirit, and love. Love. R.T. Kendall says that the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' teaching on the Holy Spirit. It's his doctrine of the Holy Spirit. It's not another law. He's not replacing the law. But these are examples and principles of how to live by the Holy Spirit. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that this whole of the Sermon on the Mount is simply an explanation of Jesus' great command, love one another 
as I have loved you. And I think that's, that's, that, that really helps us understand. So here we are in chapter 6. It's one sermon, but we're moving to another point. I've already mentioned that chapter 6 is, is very much about your relationship with your father, about your father seeing what you're doing, about your father rewarding you when you, you pray, about your fasting being to your father only, about not worrying but knowing that your father's going to look after everything that you need. So right through this section, there is an emphasis on walking with the Father. Now, walking with the Father is exactly the same as walking with the Holy Spirit because the Father sends the Holy Spirit. But I like the way that Jesus presents this as walking with, with the Father because it's important that we know that in this fatherless generation, we have a Father. And you know what? Even more crazily, especially in the light of this generation, our Father can be relied on. He's not going to run off and leave us. He's there for us. He cares for us. And he's far better than the best father you could ever imagine on earth as a human father. And we've looked at the Beatitudes. Blessed are those that do this and blessed are those that do that. And we've also looked at some strong things about loving your enemy. How do you love your enemy? We discussed this last week. It's up on the internet if you need it. How do we do these things? And... It, it can appear quite difficult because to love your enemy, to bless those that curse you, to pray for those that persecute you, to do these things is putting you in a vulnerable, vulnerable position. Because if we look a little bit further, you know, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on one cheek, give him the other. Someone sues you for your tunic, give him your cloak. Someone compelled you to go one mile, go with him too. If we look at, we've looked at the principles of those things, and if we were to put those principles into actions, we might think, well, if I, if I do all this, what's going to happen to me? I, this is like giving up my rights, and surely I need to stand on my rights. If I don't stand up for myself, who's going to stand up for me? Well, in chapter 6, we find out who's going to stand up for us, the Father. The Father is going to stand up for us. And trusting the Father is one of the greatest breakthroughs you can ever have in your Christian lives. And so here we are in chapter 6 and verse 1. Take heed that you do not do your good works before men to be seen by them. Otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a good deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Truly, truly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a good deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees you in secret will himself reward you openly. And so again, we have the theme of the Father strongly here. And this follows on still from a righteousness that's about the heart and not external. I mean, we, we have external acts of righteousness here, don't we? We have doing good works. People can see good works. Doing good works. We have um, giving to those that are in need. And so we're still looking at the fact that there are 
the Pharisees, and Jesus is still speaking about the Pharisees, this Pharisee situation where they do things on the outside, but they're not dealing with what's on the inside of their lives. Chapter 6, I've said, is walking with the Father. It's also another way of putting chapter 6, I said walking with the Father, is living by faith. Because this is going to take faith, what we're looking at here. You're going to have to walk by faith with the Father to live according to these principles. And Matthew chapter 6 is quite interesting because it tells us how not to do a lot of things. It's quite negative in a positive way. It tells us how not to give. It tells us how not to pray. It tells us how not to fast. It tells us not to store up treasures on earth. It tells us not to worry. So Jesus is really homing in and focusing on how people live religiously and not spiritually. That's what he's focusing on. So he's focusing on, still on, how people do things wrongly and incorrectly and unspiritually so that we can learn the matters of the heart. And so in this first verse, take heed that you don't do your good works before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Well, this is exactly the type of attitude that we have come to expect, having read chapter 5, of the Pharisee, haven't we? It's all about what other people think about you and not at all about what God thinks. So a Pharisee or a religious person is concerned primarily with honor from men and women around them. In other words, the Pharisee spirit was, do you think I'm holy? Do you think that I'm religious? Do you think that I'm godly? Do you think that... And, and it was all man-centered. Religion is man-centered. And people that are religious, and I'm using that term as, as um, the antithesis of spiritual. People that are religious, it's all about people. It's not about God at all. But spirituality is first a thing about God. And we're going to find out that spirituality is really, that's really matured in the hidden place. And the moment you bring out your spirituality to be seen by others, it's not spirituality anymore. This is what we're talking about. The moment your spiritual life, the moment what's going in your heart, you bring that out to show everybody, look at me everybody, look what I've done. Look, look how I'm living my life in whatever subtle forms that can be. And believe me, the Pharisees were so subtle. They, they would have rejected everything that Jesus was saying here. So subtle. And the spirit of Phariseeism in charismatic and Pentecostal churches today is extremely subtle. Extremely subtle. In fact, you may be suffering from the spirit of Phariseeism in your life and not even realize it. Well, I hope that some of the teaching that we'll be doing will expose anything of that which is in us that we can begin to walk spiritually by faith in the Father. So self-righteousness, um, the Pharisee spirit, doing things that other people will applaud or that other people will look at you and respect you because of what you've done. This is, in essence, what Jesus is speaking about in these passages. You know, Dale Carnegie, who wrote that famous book, How to Win Friends, 
and influence people. It's quite an interesting book to read, actually. How to win friends and influence people. I mean, we don't want to lose friends and lose influence, do we? So it's not a bad book. But he says this in that book. He says, the desire to feel important is the strongest urge in the world. The desire to feel important is the strongest urge in the world. That's exactly the spirit of of the Pharisee. You know, it's incredible. I've been in uh, Pentecostal circles for over 20 years or so. I uh, came out of an Anglican background, Church of England, very grateful for that and everything that I received from that. And I, I've been in Pentecostal charismatic circles. And you know, you, you can always tell this with people. The des- I'll put it, I'll put it in, a, in a way that you can understand. I'll give you an illustration. The desire to be called pastor with some people is the strongest urge in the world. You know what I'm saying? The desire to be called pastor. I'm a pastor. You're a servant of God. You're a disciple. Now, I want to be a pastor. You may have three people, but you want to be called pastor. And I have noticed that people that push for titles for pastors and and push for it, and, and, and they're pushing for it. You notice this. I want to be a pastor. How can I be ordained? It's like, well, where's your people? You know, ordination is a recognition of the people of, of your ministry. I didn't come to Kensington Temple and said, hello, Colin, 20 years ago. I, I'm going to be a pastor at Kensington Temple. I came here. I went to Bible school. <laughs> that transformed my life. And uh, what happened was people around me recognized the gift of God in me. Recognize it. They recognized it. I didn't trumpet it. But these days in charismatic Pentecostal circles, people love titles. Because if I'm a pastor, that makes me different than you. Because you're not. And you go, I'm not? So I'm not as important as you. That's correct. This is the way the game's played. I'm more spiritual than you. That's why I'm a pastor. And you might be sitting there and go, well, if, if, wow, he's a pastor. Well, I need to be a pastor too. No, no. I need to be a bishop. I noticed there was a whole wave of pastors turning into bishops. In the 90s, pastors, it wasn't enough to be a pastor. Now you had to be a bishop. And when a whole bunch of people, bishops, this is Pentecostals, we're not Episcopalian. But all of a sudden, some bloke with a church of a couple of hundreds is a bishop now. And then bishop wasn't enough. Apostle. A whole bunch of apostles. But you see, there's nothing wrong with being a bishop or an overseer. There's nothing wrong with being an apostle. But you see, it's the fact that people are grasping at those things to be seen. Reverend Dr. Bishop Apostle Bruce Atkinson, if you please. That's right. That's right. You're laughing now. But this is what the desire to be important. Be careful. I speak to all of us, including myself. Be careful, because behind the religion of the Pharisees was the desire for importance in the eyes of other people. Importance. And, it's, and you know what? It's not wrong to desire to be important. But you know, who, 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 who makes us feel important? Who, who's going to make us feel important? The Father. The Father. I'm going to come back to this theme uh, again. I mean, in John chapter 5, verse 44, this whole section is summed up in teaching on John 5, 44. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes 
only from God. I'm going to read that again. It is so powerful. I pray that we won't just take this as a surface sermon. Do you know what I'm saying? Because a Pharisee would sit there and nod. Because most Pharisees are self-deluded. I tell you what, if we had a bunch of Pharisees in this place today, without the work of the Spirit in their hearts, and without them being open, saying, is it me, Lord? We could fill this place with Pharisees, and they would, cl- they would I'm not saying anybody who you are, but I'm just saying we could, and they would clap because it would be like, doesn't mean me, means you. Doesn't mean, yeah, amen, Bruce, that's what I'll be preaching next Sunday in my cathedral of praise. Doesn't mean me. And, and one of the worst things is to be caught up in self-delusion, where you think, more highly of yourself than you ought. It hardens and blinds you. So, how, how can you believe if you accept praise from one another and make no effort to obtain? Effort to obtain praise that comes a bit from God and a bit from others. Only from God. So, I'm going to expand this, but we're talking about living a life where We're getting praise that only comes from God. In other words, only God knows. Only God knows. Praise from God alone. When you're walking with the Father, you're seeking to praise Him, not to be praised. You're seeking, you're wanting to honor God. And this is why this type of walking with the Father is all about the secret place the hidden things, the things of the heart where you would never know what was going on, good or evil. I was thinking about this. I was thinking because I let this message touch my life and flow through my life before I bring it to your life or I'm a Pharisee, isn't it? Can you imagine me standing here and preaching all this and not letting it work in my heart, not letting it saying, Lord, is it me? Are there areas in my life? And there are areas in my life that have been touched by this and even, what's the word, um, confronted by, by what I'm teaching you. Areas of my life that have been confronted by this. And it's like, Lord, this is what I want people to see. But only you know what's the real me. And is the real me that you don't see spiritual Is the real me that you don't see spiritual? Is the real you that we don't see spiritual? Because that's what really matters. Because that's what God's looking at. Because we've seen throughout chapter 5, God's not interested in external actions alone. He might see the external action, but he's looking beyond that, isn't he? We're going to see this. Your good works, your giving... And he looks at that, but God doesn't look at the good work. He looks through the good work to see the heart. So the good work in itself does not please God. This is why you can have wonderful good works and charitable deeds by by non-Christians, can't you? you? You can have... People sacrificially giving to charities. I mean, sometimes it's amazing when, when they do children in need on TV and things like that. It's amazing, even in difficult times, how much people in Britain will give to a need, isn't it? And, you know, for what that is, that's commendable. But the father doesn't look at, at the millions and millions 
of children in need alone. He's great. He's happy, I suppose, that people are being helped. But he is looking beyond the giving to the heart of the giver. That's what he's interested in. And um, this is why no non-Christian can live these principles of the Sermon on the Mount. They're not for non-Christians. You must be born again to begin to live by the Spirit. And how can a non-Christian live in the presence of the Father that he doesn't acknowledge? So when you hear politicians and people, you know, talking about love your neighbor and, oh, I love the Sermon on the Mount, it's wonderful moral teaching, it's not for you. You can't live it. The principles that are talked about, they're not, the, the most you can do is some sort of pharisaical thing because God looks at the heart. You don't commit adultery, well done. But God looks at the heart. You don't commit murder, well done. But God looks at your heart. And unless you have or are cultivating the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in heart. And the poor in heart recognizes that they need a savior and must be born again. That they need the power of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. The Holy Spirit has been poured into our hearts. That's where God does his work. And sometimes we are so blinded by what everybody else thinks. When really we should be saying, what does my father and the word of God? You know, the word of God is living and active. And it cuts right through to the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's a heart work. Now, some people say, well, it's a bit strange because when we um, look in Matthew chapter 5 and uh, verse 16, it says this. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But Matthew chapter 6 says, Take heed that you do not do your good works before men, to be seen by them. Otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Well, you have to read these things in context, don't you? Do you remember I said when you study the Sermon on the Mount, you have to study it as a whole. You don't just take a scripture right out and place it by itself in a vacuum. You won't understand it. And if we had done that in chapter 5, we'd have misunderstood many things, wouldn't we? Well, when Jesus is saying, let your light shine before men, what he's talking about is moral righteousness. And in other words... It's, it's the product of what's going on in your heart. And it's showing that you're a true Christian when you love somebody, when you give to somebody. It's the characteristics of a Christian. And often, the light that God wants us to shine is the light that we are shielding. So when you say, well, God wants me to shine good works. Yeah, normally, it's the good works that you keep hidden. In other words, normally, it's because you won't witness to your neighbor. Or you don't want to be in a place where perhaps persecution will take place. F.F. F. Bruce, the great scholar, said this about outward manifestation of good works and inward secrecy of good works. He says, and I think this is worth writing down if you're making notes. Show what you're tempted to hide. Hide what you're tempted to show. Show what you're tempted to hide. 
and hide what you're tempted to show. So in other words, when you're tempted not to speak for Jesus, when you're tempted not to give your opinion in a discussion about righteousness, you hear what I'm saying? When you're tempted not to be salt in that situation and do what Jesus would do, when you're tempted not to say what Jesus would say, when you're tempted not to cross over the road and help somebody, when you're tempted not to do those things, you know, and something inside, oh, am I, should I do the right thing? That's letting your light shine, you hear? Uh, so when you're tempted, show what you're tempted to hide. Don't hide your light under a bushel. It's the light of witness. So it's that thing, you know, it, it's like witnessing, not just in word, but in deed. Okay? And, and being unashamed to be a Christian. If you're ashamed to be a Christian, what do you do about it? Hide it. So, show what you're tempted to hide, but hide what you're tempted to show. Isn't that what the Pharisees are doing here? They want everybody to see what a great Christian they are, or a great follower of God. They want everybody to see their good works. They want people to praise them and say, wow, what a man of God. What a woman of God. Did you see that? Did you see the way they lived their lives? So they're tempted to show that because they're looking to be important. And when you do something out of wanting to be important or honored by others, then you're a Pharisee. Maybe not a full Pharisee, but that is a Pharisee attitude. And if you get any honor from it, it denies you honor from God. So there's the outward showing you're a Christian. You know, it's terrible, isn't it? I remember working when I was a Bible school student. I had to work to go through Bible school. And I used to work in what was called the reject shop in Brompton Road, right opposite Holy Trinity Brompton. It was reject shop, then it became RJ's, now it's home cargo. And I used to work there in the afternoons and evenings. And, you know, I let people know that I was a Christian, I was unashamed. And where possible, I, I witnessed, and, but also, as well as witnessing, I tried to be the best worker that I could. You know, I was doing my best to let my light shine in the right way for Jesus. And then, like, I'd been there, like, nine months. And one of the people that worked in the stockroom, he came up to me, and we were having our break, and he was just sitting there quietly, and he said, do you know I know Kensington Temple? And I went, what? I was, like, stunned. I'd been there nine months. And he knows Kensington Temple. I know Kensington Temple. I said, what? Really? Hadn't said a word to me about anything uh, to do with religion or anything Christian? I said, he said, yeah, I was brought up in an Elim church in so-and-so. I thought, what? You're a Christian, yeah. A tongue talker, a Pentecostal in the same movement that I'm in. And for nine months, he talked about everything, his hobbies and all that sort of stuff. Star Wars, Star Trek, all that sort of stuff. That's where we get... And he never once, not even to, he never even to a fellow believer, let his light shine. That's what we're talking about when you let your light shine, okay? Um, but here, Jesus is speaking about that which gets... And he, why didn't he share his faith? Because he was frightened to be dishonored. He was frightened to be persecuted, made fun of. Someone said, oh, I don't believe in that rubbish. So he kept it quiet so that he could have honor 
from those that were around him. Can you see? It's the same motivation. He didn't tell them he was a believer because he wanted a quiet life. But here it's the opposite. This is, um, this is doing things to be, to be seen, to be important, to be honored, whatever those good deeds are. And uh, Matthew chapter 23, verse 5, speaking about the Pharisees, Matthew 23, verse 5, Jesus said, everything they do is done for men to see. Everything they do is done for men to see. And you know, I'm in a very privileged position being on the pastoral staff of Kensington Temple. And get to spend lots of time with lots of different ministers and leaders from lots of different churches in different capacities. And uh, this is a word for that type of level of leadership. Because when you get into these types of levels of leadership, the temptation is you want to be seen by others to have made the grade. And so what can happen in these leadership levels is that you're concerned about what your peers think about you. So what you say and what you do is peer-driven. You might not even be aware of it. And if your peers and the rest in the fraternity of pastors or whatever you're moving in give you honor, that's what you need. I'm all right. I'm doing okay. But if no one was out there, would you still do these things? If no one was there, if no one knew and there was no one there to know, would you still live the way that you're living? This is a hidden spirituality for the Father alone. Isn't that wonderful? A spirituality, a living that is for the Father alone. It's not for you. You might see the fruit of it. You might see the blessings of it. You might see, because I tell you what, if someone's walking in the Father, you're going to know it. Do you see what I mean? You're going to see it. But the person that's living with the Father won't be doing it for you. And you won't know what's going on in the hidden spirit. And that's where it matters. I mean, you look at your life. I've been looking at my life. And I've been saying, okay, thank God for the things that I do to help people. Thank God for the gifting. Thank God for my service. Thank God for these things. But if all that's stripped away, and it really is about living for the Father in the secret place, a hidden spirituality, how am I doing? What a question. How am I doing? Away from the eyes of others. How am I doing? If my life, is to be primarily judged by what goes on in secret that only the Father sees. How am I doing? It's the true test of spirituality. Hidden spirituality for the Father alone. A faith that lives for pleasing the Father. Proverbs 27 verse 2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. Someone else and not your own lips. Proverbs 22, 7. An inner righteousness of a heart. So take heed that you don't do your works before men 
to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. No reward. Well, this immediately shows us that there are rewards. Rewards. That God is a rewarder of those that seek him. There are rewards. And some Christians say, well, I don't want a reward. I just want to serve the Lord. Pharisee. The very fact you said that was to make me think that you're holier than God. You see how easy it is. I don't want a reward in heaven. My reward is simply serving the Lord. Ah, you just got your reward. Everybody applaud. Doesn't even want a reward. More holy than Jesus who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. This person doesn't even want a reward. They're just doing it out of pure love. What a wonderful, you've got your reward. So when someone says that, I don't want a reward in heaven. I'm just doing it because I love the Lord. They've immediately just got their reward. The praise of men. Wow, what a wonderful thing. But those of us that are not as holy but more spiritual understand that God has rewards that he wants to bless us with. And it will bless him to bless us with rewards. And these rewards come on the earth and they also come ultimately in heaven. What you sow, you reap. What we do, God is watching and God is seeking to reward. And so this type of outward act, and it doesn't have to just be, don't just look at these verses as, because in some versions it says charity. Charity. But don't just think of this as charity. Think of this as what you say and how you live. And whether you are seeking people to see. You know, you often see in scenarios people that want to be prominent. Want to be prominent in the church. Or have a position of prominence and they're going to hold on to that position. And they wouldn't relinquish it to somebody else better qualified. Why? Because they want to stay important. Or people that push themselves. They're pushy people. They're pushing them. They want to be important. They want to be seen. They're pushing themselves. They don't even see that what they're looking for is honor from men. Even a senior minister, he started his ministry here at Kensington Temple. We don't talk about it a lot now. But he started his first ministry at Kensington Temple was when the service had finished. Nobody asked him. And the service was finished. In the old days of the red hymn butts, Colin Dye would pick them up and stack them. Nobody asked him. He just did it. He didn't do it so that, so that he would be seen. There was nobody there to see him do it. That's the beginnings of greatness. Things that are unseen. Your reward. And listen, he says, you have no reward from your father in heaven. Let me explain rewards. The reward is not heaven. Heaven is a gift. If you believe that Jesus died for you and rose again and sits at the right hand of the Father, if you believe that in your heart, confess it with your mouth, the gift of heaven is yours. You're saved forever. It's a gift. The gift of heaven. But that's not the end of it, because if that was the end of it, God should just rapture you immediately. Because that would be it. Well, you've got heaven. There's no more. Go. No. The great thing is now, you've, now you have heaven. You can work for reward in heaven. Remember, the reward is in heaven. It's not of heaven. And we move into uh, 
this section of Therefore, when you do a good deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues in the, treat, in the streets, as they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. That's their reward. It's their reward. They've been seen. And this is where you get the phrase, blowing his own trumpet. Have you ever heard that? that? That's such a wonderful phrase. It's a common phrase in general society. That person's just blowing their own trumpet. It comes from this section of do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. Now, I'm not sure that they actually did this, but Jesus is giving a sort of an example or a picture of it. The idea of trumpeting. And you can trumpet your own works in so many ways. Many of them very subtle, but extremely loud. I just gave you that example. Oh, I, I, I'm not working for a reward in heaven. My reward is just to work. Ah, you've just deafened me. That is the loudest trumpet blowing. And often, I mean, other things. It's like when, when you, it, it's, it's really about who, trying to get the credit. It's like when you, when you have a move of God or something, you go, wow, have you heard about the move of God and so and so? And someone pipes up, do you know I knew that was going to happen? <laughs> oh, you did? All right. You knew, I'm in on it. You know what I mean? Something happens. I knew that was, oh, the Lord showed me that. The Lord showed, oh, did he? Thank you for telling me. Wow. You're pretty close to the Why would you say that? Why would you say that? You might say it out of pure motive. But you might also say it because you want to say, oh, yeah, I saw that. Don't, you're not telling me something I don't know. And often that sort of attitude comes across with people. It's like you can't tell them anything. They already know it. Why? Why? Because they want to look in your eyes better than they should. And he says, in verse 2, the glory from men, assuredly they have their reward in full, some versions say, in full. That means that this type of attitude and this type of living doesn't get you any credit with the Father. That when you're living for the praise of others, you have no praise from God. None. Not one. Not one. When When you are living... Or acting or doing something, no matter how good it is, remember, there's good works, but God looks through the good works to the heart, and then we'll see if they're good towards God. So if the good works, if you are, if you are getting honor or feeling important for good works, if you give a gift and everybody goes around saying, wow, that what is a great thing to do, you've lost it. It's a great thing to do, but Great, you've got your reward, you've got the applause. You've got it. And there is no reward. So that means that everything that we do for the praise of men gets absolutely no acknowledgement at all from God whatsoever. So you could preach to thousands. You could have all faith. And preach to thousands and see miracles and thousands of people saved. But if you, if you get into the place of the limelight and start doing that and getting the big crusades and wanting the big crusades and looking like you're the big guy with the big crusades and all this sort of stuff, even if everybody's getting saved and that's good, you before God, you've got no credit. And God, say, God will say, well, you, you, you got the applause. You, that's what you sought in your heart. 
And I saw all the good work, which was by my spirit anyway. And I looked through to see the intention of the heart behind that great ministry. And it was man-seeking, honor-seeking. Will that person get a reward? No. None at all. They've had their reward in full. I don't know if it's just me, but that knocked me out like a... Sometimes the Holy Spirit wields a baseball bat. It knocked me out. When I thought of somebody with such a great type of ministry, and then I thought, what about the little things? Now, (laughs) whose admiration matters? That's, That's what really is important. Whose admiration matters? God, of course. Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, truly, it's like an oath. They have their reward. But I've spoken a lot on the negative, but let me come around on the positive here, and then we'll move more into the positive. But when you do your good work, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So this is fascinating because (laughs) not only when you do a good work, do you not let others know, you don't let yourself know. Wake up in the morning, look at your bank account. 200 pounds have gone out. I must have given it yesterday and I didn't know. What does it mean? You don't let others know your good works for their honor, but you don't let yourself know. What does that mean? It means you don't congratulate yourself on it. It means you don't dwell. You can say, oh, I'm really pleased. God taught me to give or I, give, I tithe or whatever. You can say, I'm really glad to do that to yourself. I'm really glad that I do. But don't rest on it all the time. Don't, oh yeah, I'm, I do this, I do the other. Because that's the beginning of self-importance. You do it unto the Father and you leave it. But look, don't let your left, right hand do it. Don't, don't show off to others, but don't show off to yourself. That your good work be done in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. We're going to see this again and again and again. When you pray in verse 7, sorry, when you pray in verse 6, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father in secret. When you fast, anoint yourself, look like you're not fasting. When you go through this passage... And we will. I want you to see, we've been through the righteousness of the Pharisees is outward. The righteousness of God is a God of the heart. Now we're continuing. Now it's like living a life where you're living in the presence of the Father. In other words, in every situation, you're saying, what, what, what will the Father think? Not what will you think. What will the Father think? When you respond, what will the Father think? When you give, what will the Father think? Living in the presence of your father. Uh, I mentioned at one of these teachings that there was a time I had a very difficult meeting with somebody. And um, it could have gone very badly. It was all set up to go very badly. And I was quite concerned about it. And I literally did pray about it a lot and covered it in prayer. And when I was studying the Son of the Mount, I just felt God just say to me, look, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Because I was worried that, you know, it was going to kick off or something like that. And I, might not, and I might play my part in that, and it might just all go wrong. It was one of those situations. I felt the Holy Spirit, or Father, the Holy Spirit, it's the same sort of thing. He's the Spirit of the Father. I felt him say, look, you're not in that room alone. Your Father is with you. 
So whatever you say, say it in the presence of your father. In other words, whatever I say, would the father be pleased with what I'm saying? Not just what I'm saying, but what I mean in my heart. So not devious. Whatever. And so when I went into that, I was sitting there, and it wasn't just me and a person. It was me, a person, and I felt like the father was there. And so immediately, already, because my father was there, I was, I was in a better position to speak. Because now I'm speaking to this person, but I'm thinking about what my father would think about what I'm saying and how I'm saying it. And what I'm doing. Is my father pleased with how this conversation is going? Is my father pleased with my response? Is my father pleased? Is my father pleased? And it was a wonderful thing to do. I, I'm not asking for, I'm sharing this with you, not for a reward. And if I have to forfeit the reward to share it with you, fine. Let's not get, become legalists. Because another thing can happen is someone can go, um, uh, like someone did early in the week, we were having lunch together, and someone said, no, I can't eat because I'm fasting. And everyone's, ah, you lost your reward. You lost your reward. You told us you're fasting. And we teased him for a bit. But, that, you know, let's not, isn't that, that's, that's just another form of legalism, isn't it? He wasn't trying to impress anybody. He just literally said, look, I can't eat because I'm, you know, I'm fasting at the moment. It wasn't a big thing, you know. But, of course, you can act like that, can't you? And so, remember, this isn't legalism. Don't go around saying, right, I can't say anything, can't do anything, can't, you know, I, I, have, I, I need to get a new checkbook with a new name because somebody in finance will see my name is on the check and then, oh, please. It's always the spirit of the matter, the heart of the matter, not the letter of the law. Isn't that right? And so, secret life, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about saying, right. And when you do this, again, like everything else, it means you have to rely on your father instead of relying on others. So there's things that are hidden that people don't know about that you really wish they did because if they knew, they wouldn't have said that about you. You know, someone accuses you of being like, I don't know, uh, not generous. If you only knew how much I have given to Kensington Temple, that's what you'd want to say. You want to honor for, if you, you, what you're saying, I'm not generous. If you only knew, I'm going to get a statement from KT Finance. And like, Uh-oh. See why? Because you feel the need. But you just say, Father, you know. Father, you understand. And you know what, Father? I don't need to push this thing because you're in control. Oh, my goodness. We're walking by faith, aren't we? We're not defending our corner we're not fighting on our territory. We're not trying to make sure everybody thinks about us the way we think they ought to or we want them to. We're just taking it to the Father. We're saying, Father, I'm with you. And we'll see that everything that we live, we live under the Father. Why are you worried? Why are you anxious? Not a bird falls from heaven without the Father's knowledge. He knows every hair on your head. He knows everything. You can't add one millisecond to your life on earth. Father is in control. Why are you worried? Why are we trying to, to do outward things? To get Why? Let's throw ourselves on the Father. How can you love your enemies? By walking with the Father. How can you deal with the attitudes we've been building throughout this Sermon on the Mount? Only by trusting the Father. You, play, you take your trust out of what man can do for you. And you place it into what your Father can do for you. It's a massive change. 
So not trusting in what a leader can do for you. Not trusting in what people with power can do for you. Not, not focusing and going after that. And, but trusting in what your father can do for you. And living as your father would want to, you to live. That's living free. Living free is living free from the pressure of what others, of what you want others to think of you, and living free under the delight of delighting the Father. And to be in positions where we will be able to say, you know, nobody, you know, that situation looked like bad, but God, you know that I did what you asked me to do, and I may have looked bad, I may have lost face, I may have looked humbled, I may not have seemed to be as important in that situation. And so much of me wanted to fight my corner, but you know what? You know, in secret, that I did it because I trust you. I went down that course of action because of you. Because not only was it the right thing to do, but I believe that my life is in your hand anyway, not theirs. This is a conversion of the mind from living before men to living before the Father. A spirituality that comes out of the secret place. Well, we're going to move forward. We're going to move forward with this next Sunday, and we're going to apply this because, of course, we're talking about the secret place. You're going to talk about prayer, aren't you? And this type of life is very linked to your prayer life. It gives you the strength to live what we're talking about. There it is in verse five. So we're continuing the theme. So that would be great tonight. At the revival service, I'm giving a strong word on the truth that healing is in the cross. Because thank God we believe in healing here and we see healing in all sorts of places from cells right up to our revival service on Sunday evenings. But I want people to understand that God, God's healing power flows from the cross. And that will give us faith for greater healing in Jesus' name. Thank you.